Greetings and good morning this Resurrection Morning 2020. And we are a little out of place. We're meeting not in the assembly like we would all prefer. We miss being together, but we're meeting separately in our houses and hearing the Word of God. Turning to Luke chapter 24 this morning, I was thinking back through uh, the many years For the past 11 years, we have had sunrise service on Resurrection Morning outside in front of the church, early in the morning, cold and usually shivery. We have the chairs out there, we have a piano out, and we'll sing outside on this early, cold morning. There's been a time when we've been driven into the building when storms came up and we had to move inside. I still remember Brother Ballinger pointing to the sky saying, Pastor, it's looking bad, we need to get inside. I remember when we were driven in the middle of the summer one time out of the building um, into the summer heat when some skunks took up residence in the church house. Um, And I mean the furry kind with the black and white stripes. It was bad for several weeks and hot, having service outside. We've had to make adjustments many times before, but this is the first Resurrection Sunday sunrise service, church breakfast, we've missed in 11 years. And I miss being with God's people, and God's people, we miss being together at the assembly. As you well know, one of the early greetings of the early church was, in meeting one another in the marketplace, He is risen, to which the response would be, He is risen indeed. Well, the story is told in the early 1920s that a communist leader, Nikolai Bukharin, was sent from Moscow to Kiev to be a keynote speaker in an anti-God rally. For over an hour, Nikolai Bukharin ridiculed biblical Christianity until he felt that his point was well made and who could argue with him. Questions were allowed, and an Orthodox church pastor rose to his feet asking permission to speak. Once he was allowed, he turned, faced the people, and gave the Easter greeting. He is risen. Instantly, there in Kiev, communist Russia, the entire assembly rose to its feet as one, and the reply came back loud and clear in communist Russia. He is risen indeed. Well, let me tell you, whether it's in the first century church, Or in the 20th century, biblical Christianity is alive and well. Biblical Christianity is alive and well in China, in Russia, and it's alive in America. Now, we know there are remnant. God always has a remnant. But God wants the witness to his resurrection to go forward by his people. And we today are in a a critical passage, an important passage on the resurrection. In fact, it's my conviction... I may be wrong, but it's my conviction that that greeting, He is risen, He is risen indeed, comes out of Luke 24. The Bible tells us at the end of Luke 23, verse 55, that the women also which came with Him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how His body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Chapter 24, verse 1 Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices 
which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed, thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day. Rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. Now, what was it they told? Well, what the two men had said. The two men said that he is risen. If you go down to verse number 32, there are two men who come back from the road of Emmaus, and their faces are aglow, and they're excited. They've run a long way. They're probably huffing and puffing. And they come in to see the disciples, and it says, they said in verse 32, one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked with He talked with us, by the way, while he opened to us the scriptures. They arose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together. And them that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. So you see, the ladies first come to the disciples and say, He is risen. The disciples don't believe. Then comes these two men from the ro- on the road to Emmaus. They come back. He is risen indeed. The disciples don't believe. Isn't it ironic that these two expressions that the disciples at first did not believe become the greeting of the first century church? He is risen, said the ladies. They don't believe. He's risen indeed, say the two men. They don't believe yet. Yet, that becomes the forever greeting of this early church as they welcome one another. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I believe that above all other passages, Luke 24 is replete, filled with what Luke would have called infallible proofs. Luke 24 is especially important because it gives evidence, infallible proofs of the resurrection. More important, it shows how the very men who were apostles came to the point where they believed that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Now, that's important because the apostle, the role of an apostle was to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. So, this is an important moment. These who accompanied with Christ and knew him best during his earthly ministry, they must see the risen Christ. That's the qualification of being an apostle, to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. So, here Luke shows how the apostolic witnesses came to believe that Jesus Christ has risen, as he said. If you can imagine, it's resurrection morning. And resurrection morning began a very long day, filled with personal interviews. One person by another, Jesus revealed himself alive to one person, one group, another group. Every interview was giving proof of his resurrection to another person. It began with 
them finding the empty tomb, these ladies, and the grave clothes left there, and the stone rolled away. Oh, what a what a mammoth, a mammoth task. I picture in my mind Samson, Samson carrying the gates of a city far off. When he was surrounded by enemies at night, he just rips the gates and the, and the bar right off and just carries it to a hill far away. And I think of Jesus, our great champion. He is the author and finisher of our faith, and he has torn the gates of death right off and carried it far away. This is the first testimony, the proof that they came across and found the stone rolled away. And then there's this, these ladies who come. And they see two angels. Why seek ye the living among the dead, they're told. The Bible tells us also that Jesus had a personal interview with Mary Magdalene, who saw Jesus first. In this passage, verse 34, it says that Jesus appeared to Simon Peter. Isn't that that important? Everyone knew that Peter had denied Jesus how many times? So his appearance to Simon Peter is characteristic of Jesus. So like our Lord to comfort the brokenhearted. You ever been broken over your sin and you just wanted to you wanted to know your forgiven and things see things made right? Jesus had a personal interview with Peter on resurrection day. And then you see later in the day the disciples uh they're sitting at at meat. Mark tells us they were eating late in the day and And it's uh, probably near to a midnight meal when these two brothers who had been on the road to Emmaus come running back to tell their story. I mean, the number of witnesses of the resurrection at this point are beginning to accumulate. You've got the ladies, Mary Magdalene. You've got Peter, the two men on the road to Emmaus. It's becoming more and more clear Jesus really has risen from the dead. But as of yet... The majority of the apostles are still doubters. They are not convinced. Even Mark 16 tells us this in verse 12. Mark chapter 16, verse 12 says that after that he appeared in another form unto two of them, as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it unto the residue. Uh, Then it goes on and says, neither believed they them. Even after the two from Emmaus got there, the disciples still did not believe Jesus had risen. They didn't believe the two men, Cleopas and the other fellow. Have you ever played a game like checkers, and you're winning, and you've got you're down to their last man, and but they get in the corner where there's those two spots, and they do this shuffle back and forth, back and forth. Um, they're down to their last man. They're in the corner. They're going back and forth. That's where the disciples are. They're not easily won over. They're not yet convinced. But everything's about to come to a head because the most unbelieving of them is being driven into a corner. They can doubt Mary Magdalene, but Jesus is about to show up. They can doubt Simon Peter's testimony, but wait till the risen Jesus shows up. They can doubt the two newly arrived brethren, Cleopas and his other, his friend. Or else they can believe that Jesus is alive, as he said. And then comes that moment in verse number 36. Will you look with me at Luke chapter 24, verse 36, as we look at some living proofs 
living proofs of Christ's resurrection. And this, the title of the message is, When the Eleven Became Witnesses of the Resurrection. When the Eleven Became Witnesses of the Resurrection. The first living proof they saw was an evidence of hearing. An evidence of hearing. Now, verse 36 says, And as they thus spake, that's with the the two men speaking to the eleven, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Jesus just came, appeared, stood in the midst of them, didn't use the door. He just appears in the room. The doors were shut. That doesn't matter. The Lord was suddenly present in the assembly. And you're going to see now the cold unbelief of their hearts and the sorrow, the doubt, the fears are about to melt. The cold hearts are about to get warm as they take in the evidence of a risen Christ. They had been filled with sorrow They've been filled with fear. I love the hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. One of the verses says, Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears. Tis life and health and peace. And I want to point you to the peace. That was the first. Of the evidence of hearing, number one, they heard him. Speak peace. Verse 36, as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of the room and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Oh, what evidence it must have been to hear his voice. To hear his voice. And to, to hear him say the words, Peace be unto you. You know, the last time they'd seen Jesus before the cross was likely in the upper room as they, and as they went um, toward the garden. And one of the things that he said in that upper room discourse, one of the last things they heard was, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, giveth I unto you. Now, it must be the same person. Listen how he introduces himself with a familiar greeting. So like Jesus, uh, he says, Peace be unto you. It's fascinating. Here's the Prince of Peace communicating peace to troubled hearts. First in the upper room, let not your heart be troubled. Now the Prince of Peace communicates peace to troubled hearts after the resurrection, saying, peace be unto you. This, this, he speaks peace. The evidence is in their hearing. Their hearing. It's Fascinating. Different people have different speech patterns. We all communicate differently, don't we? Uh, the first evidence that Jesus gave his disciples was, as soon as he appears, he speaks immediately, peace be unto you. You've heard in the Bible, the Bible says that someone once said, never man spake like this man. They must have known him by his speech. Every one of us has ways of speaking that are peculiar to us. Um, and I'm sure Jesus did too. Uh, I remember I remember um, when I, I heard someone speak uh, the southern dialect, and I remember hearing, thinking, wow, that's such peculiar. That's strange. And now, having lived in the South for so long, it's just normal to me. I was, 
Um, now, it is not normal to my phone because when left, a message is left on my phone, sometimes, you know, it'll give a transcription. It'll, uh, it'll, it'll put down so I can read a voicemail someone, someone spoke into the phone when they left a message. Just, just uh, today I received a message. And the message had to do with, it said, this is Brother Jay. Brother Jay. I mean, I thought, who is Brother Jay? I'm reading this transcription. We don't have a Brother Jay. And it goes on and says, did my tire get to the bank? Tire? Get to the bank? Obviously, my transcriptor does not understand the southern dialect, so I have to go listen to it. I'm listening. This is Brother, not Jay, it was Ted. Brother, brother, brother Ted. You say, what do you, well, if you say the word Ted just right in Southern, it does sound like Brother Jay. And he wanted to know if his tithe that he'd sent in had gotten to the bank. But my transcriptor understood that it was Brother Jay asking that his tire made sure it made it to the bank. Well, okay. So different people, we all speak differently, don't we? You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. These, these, uh, when Jesus showed up, these disciples, they heard him say the, the, the very thing that he'd said before he left. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. And here he is again saying, peace be unto you. They heard him speak peace, just like Jesus. They heard him gently rebuke their unbelief and encourage their faith. Isn't that just like Jesus? Verse 37 says, But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. That sounds very similar to when they looked out across the waves and saw Jesus walking and they thought they'd seen a ghost or a spirit. Verse 38 says, But he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? He's gently rebuking them. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Why are you troubled? Do you remember when uh, Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee in the boat, fast asleep, and they woke him up, Carest thou not that we perish? And he says, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And then again, when he came to him walking on the waves, one of the things he said was, It is I, be not afraid. And here he is again. Why are ye troubled? Isn't it? You know, you can almost hear the evidence. This is definitely Jesus. It's him. He's risen. How do you know? It sounds just like him. It's the same way he always talked to us when we were scared. He would say, why are ye fearful? Or it's I, be not afraid. And here he is, why are ye troubled? They heard him speak peace, just like Jesus. They heard him gently rebuke their unbelief, just like Jesus. They heard him also speak patiently. Now, verse number 41 says, And while they believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? Well, isn't Jesus wonderful in his patience? Has, has God been patient with you? Here, he has appeared in front of them. He's talking to them. He's encouraging them. And even when he's standing in front of them, they still don't believe. They believe not. But the Bible says for joy and wondered. Aren't you glad that God is able, Jesus is able to discern between a type of unbelief 
that comes out of being amazed and beside ourselves and overwhelmed. He's able to discern between that kind of unbelief and an unbelief that looks at evidence and says, no, I don't care, I'm not going to believe. Jesus is so patient with these who believe not for joy. They're in amazement. So rather than impatience with them and and speaking, uh, rebuking them strongly, the Bible says that when they believe not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have ye here any meat? He gives more confirmation. I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus is so patient with us. Again, he calls you to believe his word, trust him, take him fully at his word. He invites you closer to him. And then he invites you, you don't take him up on it, he invites you to eat with him. He says, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him. And he with me. And Jesus invited his disciples to eat with him. To eat. Give him food so he can show that he's he's real. He's risen. He invites the sweeter and closer fellowship over food. And in tenderness, Jesus calls you now. Will you stay far off at a distance or will you draw near to him? It's just like Jesus. Can you hear him? It's evidence. The way he even spoke to them was evidence of that he's risen. He's the same Jesus who speaks peace, who rebukes unbelief, but is patient. He's the same Jesus also that reminds them of Scripture. This is just like Jesus. Verse 44, going halfway through the verse, it says, All things he said must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he explains the scripture. One of Jesus' favorite topics he addresses, he he begins to um, go into the scriptures and how they speak of him. You can almost see the disciples sitting side by side of one elbows another and whispers, It is the Lord. It is him. It's the same one. He's teaching us just like he used to on the shore of Galilee about himself, about his word, and how these prophecies point to him. Nothing has changed much um, about Jesus at all. He's the same Jesus. The fact is, though, nothing can change much about the disciples. They're still childish and unbelieving and fearful and easily troubled. But aren't you glad Jesus doesn't change? These, they're, they're not... It's interesting, they're not carried away with enthusiasm here. They're slow of heart to believe, a little fearful. Um, if they're convinced that Jesus has risen from the dead indeed, it's because evidence was presented. They tested it. It was almost forced upon them. They had to look at and listen to what he said. These apostles were to be witnesses of the resurrection. And even this, their slowness to come to believe, assures us that they arrived at their conclusion very deliberately, very purposefully. They were convinced into becoming witnesses because of what happened in this text before us. You know, there's an evidence of hearing. There's also an evidence of seeing and evidence of seeing, number two. Not just hearing, but of seeing. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus, when he stood before the disciples, he, he said, Behold my hands and my feet, 
Now this is um, Jesus telling them, I want you to look very closely. I want you to see my hands and my feet. It says this in verse 39, Behold my hands and my feet. We like the expression, we like to say, seeing is believing. Well, Jesus said, look closer. See for yourself. You want to see with your own eyes? Can you imagine Jesus as he allows them to look closely at his hands? Can you imagine them? I think if they would have, if Jesus would have said to me, look closely at the holes in my hands, I think I would have stood a little bit far back. I don't need to. I believe you, Lord. But he holds out his hands and he, he takes their hands and puts them on his. The nail prints were visible. They can see and identify the very body which had been torn and crucified. He holds both hands out. Then he pulls back his robe on his side and shows him that awful gaping hole in his side where, where the, the spear was thrust in. And then Jesus turning to Thomas, who had said that he wouldn't believe unless he could take his hand and thrust it into the hole in his side. He wanted to see for himself. Thomas must have shuddered when the risen Savior very kindly bared his side and said, Thomas, reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Oh, there were the identifying marks, the evidence that verified he was dead, but he is alive forevermore. And don't you love it? He's not in pain. Jesus was not subject to pain anymore. He was glorified. He's three days he rises on the third day. He's not crawling around on the ground with these painful wounds. He's risen. He's glorified. He's victorious. He's not broken and dying anymore. He is living, alive. His wounds are visible, but healed. He is the lamb that was slain. And the evidence is before them. They can see it. Not a quick glimpse, but they can take it in and inspect it. John in the Gospel of John, you, if you're in Luke 24, you should be right there. In in the Gospel of John, it speaks of this very thing when it talks of Jesus, who they actually saw and bore witness to. And it says that they handled him. First John speaks of that, how they handled the very word of life. They were able to touch him. It, it implies that we've seen, we've looked upon him. This, this long, intense gazing at, as he invites his friends to, to see, I'm the same Christ that died and is now risen. This is the same body that hung on the cross that now stands in your midst. The same body, identify it, it's been taken down, I'm alive. This is the second evidence, not just the evidence of hearing and the evidence of seeing, but now the evidence of touching, touching. We've already got into this, gotten into it a little bit, but he calls on them to touch him. Verse 39, he says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Well, the Savior had a real physical body with bone still in it, with flesh on the bones. His body was solid. And yet, miraculously, it could enter the room without using the door. And yet he says, handle me and see. See for yourself. 
You see, the fourth evidence is the evidence of tasting. He immediately says, would you look at verse 41 and verse 42 and 43? And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of an honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. This is to confirm the faith of the disciples and to show them that their Lord had a real body. And he gives them more evidence. You know, we like taste tests. I always, as a boy, loved going to some of these stores that they had samples that they laid out. And I would ask my parents if I could take a little sample cup. And, of course, the sample is made to prove to you that what they're selling is worth a worthwhile product worth buying. And I always loved it when they had a sample of ice cream or a sample of cake. And then they would have sample. You go up there and you check in instead of be broccoli. Oh, sample of broccoli. Who wants a sample of broccoli? No, this is. But as a boy, I love the taste test at the store. Well, Jesus shows them a taste test. The Bible is full of this. Psalm 34, verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And Jesus is trying to evoke and to convince them to trust him. He is the risen Christ. First Peter 2, 3, If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. He's giving convincing proof that he is alive. He's not a vision. He is alive, the living Son of God. It's something for us to take in. This is a passage that is so majestic in its reality of the risen Christ, showing those who would be witnesses of the resurrection, demonstrating and proving to them that He is risen. I want you to ask you to think of it. If we do away with the resurrection... We do away with the gospel. Because the gospel, according to Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, is Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried, and he rose again, according to the scriptures. If, if Christ had not risen, our preaching is vain, our faith is in vain, and we are yet in our sins. But because Christ rose and it was proven that he rose. The Bible, this is the mark of God, that the work of Jesus Christ, dying for your sins and mine, was accepted by the Father. And so, we are now accepted in the Beloved, who have come to put our trust in Jesus Christ, because his death, his punishment for our sins, was accepted, and he has risen from the dead. This is this is our great hope. We know because Jesus Christ is the first fruits that we will also rise one day. And the Bible makes our resurrection hinge on the resurrection of Jesus. There are some of those who've already passed away in Christ. They're saved. They were on their way to heaven because they trusted in the living Savior who died for their sins. And they have now passed on to their eternal reward. They're in Christ. They're with, we know they're with the Lord even now. As we like to say, they've got it made. Well, only as we are sure that the resur of the resurrection of Jesus can we know that 
O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The story is told of a Christian mill owner who was fatally hurt one day, and yet a great peace was within him as he as he was taken back to a bed and laid down. He was going to die soon, a dying man. A lawyer was summoned, and a settlement of his business was made, and then his wife and children were brought in. And there was a very affectionate time of saying goodbye to Papa from the children. And then came in his old, aged father, who had first told his son about Jesus Christ and had led his son to Christ. The young man was saved at home upon his knees next to his father. When this aged father came in, whose face reflected his steadfast faith, the son looked up at the dad who told him about Jesus in the first place and said, Father, it's hardly worthwhile even saying goodbye to you. I'll see you so soon. Kneeling down by his son, the old man of God prayed with a simple fervency of great soul, then got up and took the hand of his son, already beginning to enter the shadow of death, and said, No, Alec, it's hardly worth even saying goodbye. I'll see you in the morning. Because Christ rose, we will be in heaven in the morning, forever with the Lord. Our future is sealed. We ourselves are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. We are purchased with a price. If you're listening and you have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ alone, who died your death and was buried and rose again for your sins, if you've not yet trusted in Christ alone, now is the day of salvation. Won't you trust Him now? Turning from all else with nothing else to trust in, will you trust just in Jesus? You cannot save yourself. Because... The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Would you trust in Christ now and his death for your sins? If you'd cry out to God in simple faith, owning yourself a sinner, believing that Jesus took the full punishment of all your sin and ask him to save you based on Christ's death for you alone, He'll save you now and make you his child. Child of God, listening today, we have a certainty, we have evidence, we have proof of our resurrected Christ. And not only did the disciples receive the evidence, they heard him, they saw him, they touched him, they saw him eat. But I'm telling you, we also have the Christ living within us from day to day. And this is the day. At 3.30, we call our church to begin to fast and pray and seek his face. Turn from our wicked ways. And humbly seeking him, ask God to have mercy upon us. As on us as a, as a church, on us as a nation, and to heal our land, to forgive our sins. I would ask you, people of God, if you would not turn to the Lord with all your heart, set aside time, guard it from distractions. And there has been no limit set on this.
perhaps at 3.30, you would make this. Maybe you've made this whole day a day of prayer. Maybe you've made the whole day a day of fasting already into it. But however God leads you, would you set aside time now, beginning today, to seek him to fast and pray for our country. You are praying to a living father and in the name of a living son. We have the victory already. Victory is ours. We have the throne room to go to, not the president's office of the United States, but the throne room of the King of Kings. We have, in the name of Jesus, all authority given to us to not just be witnesses, but to be intercessors for our nation, for our church. Let's draw draw nigh now. The Bible's promised us if we'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. I would ask you even now, leading us in prayer this afternoon, let's go to God. Let's seek his face. Let's ask God to heal a nation and really to bring victory in his name through the people of God calling out on Resurrection Day Sunday. Father in heaven, how grateful we are to have a risen Savior who demonstrated by many infallible proofs that he is God and is risen. Now, Lord, we come in the precious name of Jesus to your throne room. And we come to the throne of grace in time of need for our country, for our church. We're asking, Lord, do you help us, guide us as we seek your face into an intimacy and a closeness because our church, oh God, we as a people, I as a pastor, need you. We need to hear from heaven. We need to, we need to see you work, Lord. I'm asking that you would forgive us our sins. Help us, Father, to examine our hearts. Show us our sins. Cleanse us. And help us to walk uprightly as the people of God that you've made us to be. I pray that you'd help our president. That you would put your hand upon him, Lord, and guide him for the benefit of, of the nation. And for the benefit of your son's sake, that Jesus Christ might receive glory for having healed our land. Lord, you alone can do it. We look to you and we thank you for, on this resurrection day, giving us a time we can set aside to seek you. We love you. Thank you for leading us. Would you lead your people forward today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.